Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail, our highway in the sky. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. For the comfort of others, no smoking, please. Thank you. Hey folks, you're listening to Two Men in the Mouse, episode 202 on the White Dragon Podcast Network, recorded live at the White Dragon Studio in Orlando, Florida, and Rogue Comics in Cranford, New Jersey on July the 7th, 2020. This is your everyday guide to the magic of Walt Disney World and the larger Disney universe beyond it. My name is Kevin Kessler, and I am joined as always by my good buddy, Peter Mandel. Hey, Kev. Hey, Pete. What's going on? Yeah, not much. What about you? I'm, I'm trading in the walking shoes for some cowboy boots this week. Can't wait. Yeah. Folks, we are two lifelong Disney fanatics who have managed to keep the magic of Disney alive in our lives every day. We want to share that magic with you. So pull up a chair, gather the family, or pop in your favorite set of headphones, and let's experience the magic together. Pete! Kevin. All right, so we have got the next installment of our world tour this week. But before that, we got to get through the news. And, uh, the you know, it's a huge week. Walt Disney World is reopening this week. Um, you know, there's been controversy. There's been... Good things, bad things. I mean, there's just been so much to to see and talk about in this last week. Now, I am going to the Passholder preview on the 9th, um, which is Thursday. So on our next episode, we'll have some information about what that's like. Uh, we have discussed the possibility of potentially like doing a... Um, like a special episode specifically about the reopening and what it's like. Uh, we'll see how that goes. The timing. I am very excited for you to go. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm also like really nervous about going. Really? Yeah, I am. Okay. Uh, you know, just because of how crazy things have been in Florida lately. Uh, yeah, I get I mean, it. I'm at this, like, if it wasn't for the show, I probably wouldn't be going. Look at you. I, it for the people. I I mean I don't want to make it sound like that. I'm going to Walt Disney World for you. No, it's um you know but I, but like I'm nervous doing it. So we'll have you know we'll talk about it on Two Men in the Mouse. There'll be some Morty videos. That you know things are things are chugging along. So uh, ready for the news? Not a lot of news this week. Let's do it. News brought to you as always by our friend Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, who will plan your Disney vacation for you at no additional cost to you. You know, folks, uh, travel agents like Dave. They've been hit super hard by all of this with the parks being closed because their income has essentially stopped. So if you can use a travel agent, even if you don't typically like, like, you know, need, think that you need a travel agent, it's always, it's a good deed to kind of like reach out to one like Dave and just give them your trip to book because it doesn't cost you anything. It makes things easier for you and it helps them out in this troubling time. I mean, you know, even if you like to do your dining reservations yourself, like Pete, you do your reservations alone. Yeah. I mean, I'm the classic example of someone I need no help booking my trip whatsoever. Zero help. Yeah. But you know, you, I don't know if everyone always realizes you pay the same amount, like down to the penny. There's no difference in price. Exactly. Whether you book through a travel agent or you book through Disney. Right. So, you know, I always, I listen, I am a small business, a super small business. I am a business of one, as is Dave's theoretically. Right. Um, so I, I fully understand 
the small business aspect of this. Yeah, whenever whenever I go to a resort that's not through like you know DVC or something like that, I I will I will always go through Dave because. You know, why not? It, it's literally why not. So, folks, you can reach Dave at DisneyDaveW at Verizon.net. Give him a call and, you know, make use of his, especially like if you're like on the fence about ADRs. Dave's eating at every Disney restaurant, so he knows what he's doing. Right. So, all right. You ready to uh, get the worldwide news? Uh, Disney's annual pass holder uh, system made a huge mistake this week. Did you hear about it? I did hear about this. So they didn't charge anyone for four months while the parks were closed. Nobody was paying on their monthly annual pass. This is for Florida residents only. When the computers came, I guess, back online to get ready for the opening, they charged everyone for four for four months. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's not awesome. Not you imagine really. like someone accidentally hit that button, like click, click. Oh no! What and, did yeah, I like I mean, you're talking a platinum pass about sixty-seven dollars a month times four. I'm not going to do that math right now, but it's over two hundred bucks. So yeah. you know the it's it's almost I think it's over two fifty. Uh, people were understandably very upset. Disney is reversing the charges. They're still in the process of doing it. Now I did not get hit with this. Okay. The um the the account that I use for my annual pass, I typically don't keep a lot of money in it, just like enough to do what I need to do. So right. that kind of like worked in my favor because, you know, it tried to charge me all that money and then, you know, it wasn't there. So I called them back because I'm like, "Oh, now I'm worried that like my pass might be blocked." And it was. Really? They was blocked for non-payment and I'm like, "Oh, because, you know, I had the money set for the monthly amount." I didn't have four months worth sitting in there, but uh, I took care of it and my pass. So, like, let's back. say you let's say you didn't call, right? And, and you went on Thursday. Would they have not let you in? Probably. Really? Yeah. And when something like that happens, they don't give you like they don't they don't like send you an email or anything like that. You just kind of have to go and try to try to like you know touch point in and have them be like oh it's all shining blue let's get someone over here and then if you're at the magic kingdom you gotta go stand in that in that hell line for the um guest relations outside the magic kingdom so how long did you wait on hold when you called um about an hour and a half that's insane yeah because there's no online option to change your card or have them redo it right so yeah i needed to yeah Yeah, it it was nuts that is crazy. It was pretty nuts, yeah. Uh, so in-park uh, ADRs and resort ADRs are now open again to all guests who can make them now 60 days in advance instead of 180 days. Do we know if this is actually like, uh, like let's say you have a, is, no, is it 60 plus 10? I would assume it's 60 plus 10. The plus 10 has always been a rule. I know, I just, I haven't heard anyone confirm that. Yeah, I think that it, it's the same thing, just 60 instead of 180. Okay. Uh, so for in-park dining, when in-park dining initially becomes available, you'll need valid park admission, a reservation for park entry, and a dining reservation to dine at an in-park table service restaurant. So I guess they're not going to be like just letting people walk in. Uh, dining reservations right. do not guarantee admission to the park, so you have to make sure that you have both the dining reservation and the park reservation. Disney Resort Hotel Dining, a confirmed dining reservation is required for day guests, those not staying overnight, and is highly recommended for guests staying overnight at Disney Resort Hotels. So there you go. You can make your ADRs for your trip. Are you excited about that? I I mean, sure. I, in theory, I am. I, I always knew I would be able to make ADRs. Well, you were. It does you, look you, like. Weren't you like nervous that you weren't going to be able to do ADRs? Well, yes. My my real nervous was the restaurants opening more right. than ADRs. Right. I mean, we we knew there'd be restaurants open. It's just which ones. And, and shockingly, it is 
even for opening day, it does look like a lot more than I had anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. They're opening a lot of them. Uh, we got some Disney Springs news, um, specifically okay. for people that live in the Central Florida area. House of Blues is offering a 20% discount uh, to Central Florida residents. So the offer is not valid at the Smokehouse or in the Gear Shop, but it will be open to all residents of Brevard, Hillsboro, Lake Orange, Osceola, Citrus, Hernando, Pasco, Seminole, Sumter, Volusia, and Polk counties. Guests must present the offer um, and proof of residency. This offer is valid through August 31st. And reservations are recommended. House of Blues is open daily from 12 p.m. to 10 p.m. with happy hour from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Live music takes place Monday through Friday from 5 to 10 and Saturday and Sunday from 12 p.m. to uh, to 10 p.m. So there you go. Very exciting. No Magic Kingdom news this week. No Epcot news. No Animal Kingdom news. But we have some Hollywood Studios news. Remember last week we reported that August Cantina was removed from the uh, reopening list? Yes. It's back on there. There you go. August Cantina will reopen with Hollywood Studios on July 15th. The lounge's appearance on the initial reopening list caused some surprises. August Cantina has very low capacity and is pretty tight even when there's not a pandemic. Um, and with no outdoor capability, it was then removed from the list uh, w- when the state announced that they were suspending alcohol consumption at bars. However, it's back on the list and available for reservations for guests uh, for all guests at this point. So, yeah. The real Hollywood Studios news I need is lightsabers being back open. Yeah, I have heard nothing about that. Me neither. And I'm I'm just blown away that droids are back and lightsabers aren't. I'm baffled. Huh. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I get that it's live entertainment. I, I guess maybe, you know, does Disney have it like classified under specifically live entertainment? Well, I wonder if they the, can't do it. I wonder if the Kimbays over at uh, the, the lightsaber shop are are actors, like if they're union actors, because I know Mark, uh, you know, Mark was friends with one of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe. Well, because the actors equity union is still going back and forth with Walt Disney World. They're having a lot of issues. Um you know, because the actor, basically the Actors' Equity Union was like, okay, well, we'll agree if you'll agree to, like, give COVID tests to everybody, like, routinely. And then Disney was like, no. So, from what I understand, I mean, that's not a news item this week. It's just something that I thought I saw. Um, so, there you go. All right. Well, listen, I hope that's it because I feel like something like that could get resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man. Cast member previews are also currently going on uh, for the parks. So the parks are technically reopened right now, Uh, but we are, I'm not looking at anything from it because I want to just kind of experience it all when it happens. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. That's the news this week. Not bad. All right. So we're going to take a quick commercial break here from the rest of the White Dragon Podcast Network and our sponsors, and we'll be back with our e-ticket attraction of the week. Put on your walking shoes, folks, because we are heading west after this. You know, Pete, it's hard work planning a Disney vacation. Course. Your whole family has to get going. You got to pack everything up. You got to figure out where you're eating. You got to figure out where you're staying. But you know what makes life so much easier? Makes your trip planning a more fun experience. Tell me, that sounds like something I need. Absolutely, you need a travel agent. Do we know one of those? We absolutely do. We know our good friend and sponsor, Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, the official travel agent of Two Men and the Mouse, folks. We've both used him. Yes, we have. Dave Weikert plans our Disney vacations all the time, and we would not recommend him if we didn't use his services ourselves. Dave started his Cranford-based business here in 2008 and in that time has been planning hundreds of Walt Disney World vacations. Dave plans every trip as if it were his own and you will never find someone more passionate about Disney. Very easy to work with and will do his best to make sure you're satisfied. Working with Dave, you're likely to pay less and get more. And what's better than that, Peter Mandel? Tell me. 
You never pay a charge for Dave's services. It is 100% free. Dave will plan your entire trip for no additional cost to you. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. Dave has helped over 875 families enjoy their Disney vacations. A graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge, Dave has visited every Disney World resort and has personally stayed at 12 Disney World resorts. He's dined also at every Disney restaurant. He's crazy about Disney food. That is an accomplishment. Absolutely. I wish I could say I did that. That's like the snack challenge times 10. Yep. Dave also gives you Disney dollars for land packages and shipboard credits for any Disney Cruise Line vacations you might be going. Uh, This can be used as cash at any Disney destination or store. Traveling with kids in your party, Dave will also provide you autograph books for all your kids. You give them to us? Absolutely. Your kids went down with Dave Weicker autograph books. Of course. Well, Disney autograph books supplied by Dave Weicker. Depends how his name on it. Dave simplifies your life by booking your complete vacation, including resort stay, airlines, Disney meal plans, and park passes. Also, checks daily for new discounts. When specials are announced, he immediately checks availability and rebooks your vacation at the lowest possible price. Dave can also book all your Disney dining and will do his best to get hard-to-book reservations like Cinderella's Royal Table and Be Our Guest. It's really, truly a no-brainer. Folks, take the stress out of your life. Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, the official travel agent of Two Men in the Mouse. If you and your family are taking a trip to the Orlando area this year, your little ones deserve to stroll in style. Lugging a stroller from home can be an annoying and frustrating part of the first leg of your journey. And renting those hard plastic strollers from Disney theme parks can be both costly and uncomfortable for your kids. Well, I'm here to tell you about the solution to your child transport problems, and that's Kingdom Strollers. Kingdom Strollers is a Disney-featured stroller and crib provider that does exactly what you're looking for at a great price. Not only is it less expensive than renting a stroller from the theme parks themselves, but these are padded luxury models with features like drink holders, canopies, storage baskets, and more. What's more, you keep this stroller with you for your entire trip, whereas park-rented strollers, you got to return them before you leave the park that day. This is going to make those late-night post-fireworks bus stop queues so much easier, and Dad's shoulders are going to thank you for it. So, how does it work? You just go to kingdomstrollers.com and make your selection on the stroller or crib that's right for your child. Just let the good folks over there know a great time for delivery and pickup and where you'll be staying. You can pick your stroller or crib up from the luggage stand at your resort and then drop them back off there at the end of your stay. So pack light, leave your stroller at home, and save up to a whopping 50% versus park price stroller rentals when you visit kingdomstrollers.com. Hello, humans! My name is Morty Monster, and I'm... uh, Well, I'm a monster. I'm here as an exchange student from the Monster World, where growing up I fell in love with the world of human pop culture. Unfortunately, not a lot of monsters share that passion, so I came here to experience all of these things that I love and to share that passion with all of you. I do this through my YouTube channel with regular video blogs. One of my favorite things to do is film while in the theme parks of Orlando, Florida. Join me in Walt Disney World, Universal Studios, SeaWorld, and more. I'll also be reviewing comic books, web videos, TV shows, movies, and other awesome stuff. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash MortyMonster. I'm on Instagram as MortyMonster and friends. I'm also on Twitter as MortyMonsterBFF. 
from there you can find a link to my YouTube videos. Please like, subscribe, love, sign up for notifications and more for all the Morty content. I can't wait to share my adventures with all of you, Morty This is Bill Farmer, and you're listening to Two Men and the Mouse. Howdy folks, Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom tells a story and today we continue that story as we mosey on down with our world tour. We're leaving the world of colonial America and entering the wild, wild west. That's right, this week we're talking about Frontierland! A land of history and adventure. It's not Adventureland, but it still has adventure in it. We got singing bears and tall tail ends and a pair of mountains that are the very definition of e-ticket attractions. Yep, this week for our e-ticket attraction of the week, we're continuing the Two Men and the Mouse world tour with Frontierland. How about that? Please tell me you're doing the whole show like this. No, I, mean, I was thinking, I was like, like I was going to tell you, like Pete, we have to do the whole show in cowboy accents, but we're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to do that. Of course, the e-ticket attraction brought to you by our partners over at KingdomStrollers.com. Who gonna rent you the crib and stroller of your dreams and deliver them right to your Disney resort? You know, I've never really done a cowboy accent before, and like I'm kind of digging it. Like maybe I should just yeah, adopt this as like a a regular thing. You mean like in your regular life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just like you know, people will be like, "What happened? Like how did how did this happen?" And I'll just be like, "I'm just, sure your parents will love that." It's just one of them things. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, like, I, when I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2, I'm sure it came out a lot in my head, but, you know, be like Arthur Morgan. Uh, okay, so Frontierland, very different front... Uh, we have a tale of two Frontierlands here, because the Frontierland in Walt Disney World is very different from the Frontierland in Disneyland. Right. They've really kind of expanded on California's approach when they created Walt Disney World. It was It's a lot less rustic and historical and a lot more bright and humorous. Like, there's a lot more gags and humor in the Walt Disney World version of Frontierland. Well, I mean, a lot of the Disney World versions are kind of a perfected version and to some extent. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, but you know what? If we're going to talk about the current Frontierland, we first have to talk about the past. And what was originally planned, and that is Thunder Mesa, which was originally set to encompass the areas currently uh, that are held by Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain. That was all going to be Thunder Mesa, the centerpiece of Frontierland. It is a cool name. Yeah, well, it was going to be Walt Disney World's answer to Pirates of the Caribbean. Because when Walt Disney World, re- when Walt Disney World opened in 1971, there was no Pirates of the Caribbean. Despite it being one of the big huge attractions in in Disneyland 
I, I guess they thought that like, oh, well, it's Florida, you know, people of our people are like pirates were in that area and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, no one's going to want to see that. Well, you know what? You know, who? Uh, a lot of people who aren't from Florida come to Walt Disney World. And apparently they didn't anticipate that. Uh, Plus, well, you know, people had expectations of Disneyland and Pirates was one of their big attractions. Well, yeah, Pirates was so huge back then. And, and so, you know, uh, Mark Davis, the legendary Mark Davis, designed the plans for Thunder Mesa. And it included three attractions inside of a four-story show building. Uh, this was going to be made to look like the mesas and deserts of Utah's Monument Valley. There was going to be a runaway mine train ride, which um, I hear was set to be the wildest ride in the wilderness. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, there was also going to be a series of hiking trails at the very top with natural arches, waterfalls, different flora and fauna, and even a Pueblo Native American village. There was also going to be some kind of pack mule ride. Okay. Um, you know... I guess they were going to feed them Timios. That's a fairly odd parents reference. That's such a pack mules. Um, but the main event was going to be the Western River Expedition, which was meant to be just like pirates, but kind of set in the Wild West. It was going to be the flagship attraction of Frontierland and Thunder Mesa. This was going to be a boat ride through the era of the cowboy. More than 150 animatronics were going to be featured in this, designed by Mark Davis. Uh, this was a, actually originally planned for uh, the Riverboat Square, which was going to be an indoor theme park that Disney almost built in St. Louis. And it was set to recreate the journey of Lewis and Clark as they explored the western United States. It would have been a musical experience within a recurring theme song that Buddy Baker, the Disney composer, would have written. And it would have actually rained in the attraction. Cool. There was going to be like a rain dance, Native American scene, and, and it would have actually rained. And it would have ended with a wild trip down rapids and then going down a waterfall. This would have been three times the size of Splash Mountain. Wow. Yeah, so they had really big hopes for this. Uh, in 1969, before Walt Disney World opened, part of the preview literature being passed around heavily focused on Thunder Mesa. And in 1973, we met um, somebody who had a lot of potential but kind of fell flat on it, and that was animatronic Owl Hoot Gibson, who was set to be the... Um, centerpiece of the Western River expansion and ended up just kind of being a, a failure and, you know, black market kidney seller. Uh, <laughs> or Hoot. Yeah. So Hoot Gibson was featured in the Walt Disney Story, which we touched on in the Main Street USA version, yep. and he was kind of hyping up um, the uh, the Western River expansion. He was like, I'm, I'm going to be a star of a new thing here, Walt Disney World. And then that didn't happen. And then, you know, the rest is history. I mean, you know, just Hoots history. Hoots. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm sure he still exists out there somewhere. Oh, yeah. OK, so work had been done and the land had been cleared for Thunder Mesa, but then budgets and deadlines pushed it back from the, from opening with the park. It was to be built in the first five years as part of what Disney was calling phase one of Walt Disney World. But it turned out guests didn't care about Thunder Mesa. They wanted Pirates of the Caribbean. So they took the money they were going to put into Thunder Mesa, they shelved that project, they fired Hoot Gibson, and they opened up Pirates of the Caribbean in 1973. Uh, so when Walt Disney World first opened up, there was no Tom Sawyer Island, there was no train station, and no Caribbean Plaza moving from Frontierland to Adventureland because there was no pirates. Of course, that has been expanded over the years, and you know things have um, become what we now know them as today. 
Yeah, that's a pretty good backstory. Absolutely. There is no visible entrance uh, to Frontierland. Now, as we're crossing into Frontierland from Liberty Square, it is actually the only land that is not accessible directly through the central hub of the Magic Kingdom. Do you know why that is? Uh, Tell me. Well, it was not an oversight. This is an intentional move. Because Liberty Square and Frontierland are connected, and they tell a story. So they wanted you to enter through Liberty Square. Because it focuses on westward expansion following the Louisiana Purchase in the United States. And continues the story that started in Liberty Square in the late 1700s into the late 1800s. So we're spanning about 100 years as we continue to walk from one end to the other. Uh, It starts in St. Louis in the early 1840s and ends in a ghost town in the late 1880s following the gold rush. Uh, You're moving east to west as the architecture signals the passing of time. Now, how does that happen? As you go from Liberty Tree, uh, the Liberty Tree Tavern to the Diamond Horseshoe, you see the Diamond Horseshoe is in St. Louis and it was established in 1840. The Country Bear Jamboree building was established in the 1850s. Town Hall was established in 1867 and Pecos Bills in 1878. So the passage of time uh, does happen here. Now, the Walt Disney World train station at the other end of the park is also symbolic of the meeting of the East and West and is meant to symbolize the first transcontinental railroad that connected the East and West coasts of the United States. Now, the first thing to talk about here is the last thing we talked about last week in the Liberty Square episode, and that's the riverboat. Obviously, yeah, the Liberty Bell plies the rivers of America, starts over in the Hudson Valley uh, over by Haunted Mansion, and then moves into Frontierland, where it goes across the Mississippi River and then the Colorado River. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail here. If you want to hear more about the riverboat for whatever reason, check out our Liberty Square show. Uh, Not my favorite attraction. No, me neither. Yeah, speaking of things that aren't my favorite, Tom Sawyer Island. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, do you, have you ever been to Tom Sawyer Island? I have. I was going to say, like, there's a chance that in the 20 years that you've been going, you have never stepped foot on Tom Sawyer Island. Uh, I've done it twice. Just because okay. my kids were, you know, energetic, and I was like, let's just go check that out. Give Heather, you know, some time to kind of just look in stores. And, right. Uh, it's okay. I, I I don't know if I'll ever go ever again, and only because I don't know if my kids care that much now. Right. Plus, there's also a little bit of feeling of being trapped over there. Yeah, kind of, because you have to take the, the raft from one end to the yep. other. Uh, now, Tom Sawyer Island, for those of you that don't know, is an outdoor playground that is based on the novels of Mark Twain, specifically uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. It was the first new edition. Uh, it was it started in Disneyland and was the first new edition to Disneyland in 1956. Uh, it was, uh, there were, pl- uh, Imagineers planted pine, oak, sycamore, maple, and elm trees on the island in order, and created man-made streams in order to create the, the, the area. Now, Walt Disney was quoted regarding the Disneyland version of Tom Sawyer Island as saying that he put in all the things I wanted to do as a kid. So, there's a Walt connection here. He was a big Mark Twain fan. Fort Sam Clemens was renamed Fort Langhorn, uh, and that was promotional for Disney's Tom and Huck movie in the 90s, starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas. JTT. Yep. And uh, Fort Sam Clemens, obviously, was uh, because Mark Twain's real name is Samuel Clemens. And I believe Langhorn is his middle name or something like that. But there was a Fort Langhorn in Tom and Huck. Uh, so that was why they changed it. There is a moose and a deer that peek out from the landscaping. There's There also used to be paintbrushes, whitewashed paintbrushes, that cast members would hide around the island every day. And if you found them, you'd be rewarded with a fast pass for either Splash Mountain or Big Thunder Mountain. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I don't think they do that anymore, though. 
Florida's version is two islands connected by a suspension bridge. Features an old mill, a series of caves, and a barrel bridge, which you can see over by Haunted Mansion. The water wheel works a little too well and actually had to have a dampening device installed to control the speeds. And you can only access uh, the Tom Sawyer Island, as we said before, through diesel-powered free-floating rafts. Uh, which is an interesting little uh, little ride, a little standing ride across yep. the rivers of America. Now, what ticket would you say they charged for this in Walt Disney World originally? I'm going to say a C-level ticket. This was actually a D-ticket attraction for Disney yeah, World. Yeah, D. It's, it's hard to imagine. I know, right? Because nobody goes over there. I thought but, I was like upping it by saying C. I mean, it, it will. I would say that it is a... If you're overwhelmed by the crowds, if it's a super crowded day, you need some shade, you need to sit, it's a nice place to go that isn't overly crowded. So there are places I to guess. sit down. I mean, you know, it's a place to get away from the crowds. Uh, the Diamond Horseshoe is one of our first stops as we continue to move in from Liberty Square. Now, this is modeled after an East Coast opera house, and it is open seasonally currently. Uh, this is meant to be the last outpost of quote-unquote civilization before you enter into the Wild West, which is over in St. Louis, Missouri. The Diamond Horseshoe Review formerly played there, which was a live show that debuted in Disneyland first. You actually had to get reservations to get into the show, and you can get those on Main Street USA at, the, at one of the antique shops. Cool. They stopped requiring reservations for the show in 1995, and it was, this was an opening day show at the Magic Kingdom. Uh, the Diamond Horseshoe was originally a table service restaurant, and it shared a kitchen with the Adventureland Veranda restaurant. Uh, when the veranda closed, the menu was scaled back, and the Diamond Horseshoe became a counter service restaurant. The review closed in 2003 and was replaced by Goofy's Country Dance and Jamboree, which featured Goofy and other characters performing musical numbers, which was then closed in 2004. The location was also used as a meet and greet for Woody and Jesse for a while. I, I'm sure you remember that. But that I do remember. Yeah. Uh, today, seasonal quick service. Uh, and it does not get good reviews. It is it is typically one of the worst reviewed uh, restaurants in all of Walt Disney World. I'm surprised they haven't like, repurposed that building. I've never heard a positive thing about the Diamond Horseshoe. Everyone I've ever met who's gone there has been like, Bleh! like that's barfing noise. Uh, now, as we continue to walk through, you'll find a covered breezeway that's going to take you into Adventureland. This is also where restrooms are. So uh, the poop line from Liberty Square, which we talked about last week, actually terminates here at the restrooms. Kind of fitting in a way, right? I feel like everyone has used those bathrooms at some point. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. I, I mean, they're the bathroom that no matter where you are, like in all that like area, and you're like, hey, where's the nearest restroom? They're like, oh, right there. Like, yeah, I don't like that bathroom at all. Like I don't either. It's my least. For some reason, I like. It's the one bathroom in all of Walt Disney World that I think almost is kind of dirty. Hmm. Like I don't. I don't know why. Can I? So, all right. This is kind of a gross story. So I apologize to some people who might not like it. Um. So I was in Adventureland, and I'm sitting over like you know, like where they have like those the, the stone benches, like carved out of the yep. planters. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, and I could smell the bathroom. Mm. Somebody had such an epic level performance in that bathroom that it managed to permeate through the wall and travel across the roadway to where I could smell it at that over over there. Maybe it was more of like a septic tank issue. You know what I mean? Like, Maybe. Uh, 
wherever it runs. Like through. I was just like, I need to. I, like I almost want to meet this person to see if they're okay. <laughs> look, using public restrooms, it's it's already like such a horrifying thing for me. But like, could you imagine if like you used a public restroom and you literally stunk out like an entire section of the Magic Kingdom? Like, That's how wild. horrifying is that? All right, continuing on. Uh, as you move through, as you move further into Frontierland, you're going to cross a small wooden bridge, which is actually symbolic of crossing the Mississippi River. There's a okay. small stream that runs underneath that enters into the uh, rivers of America. There's also a blockhouse with a rifle pointing out and a raised outpost for a sentry. There's also a lookout post up there, which also is a hiding place for one of the parade speakers for Festival of Fantasy. The 300-yard wooden plank river walk is my preferred method of getting through Frontierland. I like that also. Yeah, it's it's like a... I mean, everybody kind of knows it's there, but it's definitely the less crowded way to cross from over by Haunted Mansion if you're trying to get over to Splash or Big Thunder Mountain. This was actually added as late as 1999. Huh. Right over in that area as well, you have the Rivers of America ca- uh, crossing character sp- spot which used to have uh, Donald Duck in his um, frontier gear. You remember that with the coonskin cap? I have that picture, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I believe it's Chip and Dale in kind of like a sheriff outfit, Cowboys. I have that picture also. Yep. Uh, there's also a DVC kiosk right there for Disney Vacation Club. There's a map there that says we are at Homestead Pass and we're heading in the direction of Big Thunder Mountain. But this area was formerly a wood carving shop when Frontierland first opened. The Frontierland Shootin' Arcade, a.k.a. Hard Pass. <laughs> I do not love the Frontierland Shootin' Arcade. It's not something I've ever even really looked at. Do you know that the Frontierland Shootin' Arcade, when it first opened in 1971, originally fired real lead pellets? Oh, I believe it. Yep. Maintenance had to repaint the targets literally every night. Walt Disney World was going through 2,000 gallons of paint a year. That's Just crazy. from the Frontierland Shooting Arcade. That's awesome. Uh, in 1982, the rifles were upgraded with the infrared lasers that they currently have, which, you know, is much more cost effective. There are over 100 different targets, and when you shoot a target, an accurate shot triggers different animations that occur. So I, I wonder if there's somebody who's like, every oh, every trip we have to hit the Frontierland Shooting Arcade. I bet you there is. I bet you there's someone who likes the, you know, historic Disney aspect of it. I, I mean, I'm sure it's like there's every attraction is probably someone's favorite attraction, right? No, no, you don't it's think no one's any, favorite attraction. You don't think anyone's like, oh, the riverboat. Okay, so the Frontierland Trading Post and the Mercantile Store. The Frontier Trading is owned by Trail Boss Texas John Slaughter who is a character from the Wonderful Wonderful World of Disney TV series. He's also the little-known uh, cousin of d- former WWF champion Sergeant Slaughter. And G.I. Joe action figure. Yes. Uh, no, we made that up. He has no relation to Sergeant Slaughter, and I'm sure that I'm a maggot and a puke for even suggesting such a thing. You find sacks of sugar and flour, as well as saddles as decorative items. There's also a wanted sign for Br'er Fox inside for swindling pins. Not for long. You don't think they'll leave the, the Br'er Fox uh, wanted poster up there? The way they're taking down all the Splash Mountain merchandise? Nope. Are they taking it down? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Huh, that's interesting. 
this was also, you know, they might be look on the lookout for Br'er Fox, but this was also the site of one of my favorite Disney viral videos. Okay. A squirrel walked into this store, grabbed a candy bar, and ran back out. What kind of candy bar? Yeah, I think it was a Twix. Interesting. Good choice. Like, yeah. Right? Like, it was a solid choice by that squirrel. Uh, I loved this video. Like, I mean, obviously, it wasn't, like, planned or anything. It was literally a squirrel came in and stole a candy bar. Like, that candy right. bar is probably four bucks. Get back here, squirrel. Like, they're all this time looking for Br'er Fox for swindling pins, and they got squirrel thieves that are coming in there and taking all of our candy. That's great. These squirrels need to be dealt with, Peter Mandel. They think they own the place. This may be the wild, wild west, but I draw the line at squirrel bandits. It would have been better if it was chipmunks. Because they'd be bringing in the Chippendale? Yeah, it would be very Chippendale. Yeah, I don't know. It was a squirrel. It was a big old squirrel. Big old fat squirrel. Probably got fatter. Probably died from eating all that chocolate, but, you know. Nah, squirrels are like... uh, Squirrels can eat anything? They're like machines. Yeah. Do you think the squirrel was able to get the the wrapper open? Yeah. Like, how did it even know that there was food inside that wrapper? It can probably smell it. Do you ever do you ever worry about like animorphs? Like there are people that can transform into animals and like or like animagus and they like like that was just a person that wanted Twix, so they they mutated themselves into a squirrel and then stole the no. Twix bar. These are the things I think about. Because we need I'm to just, work on that. I'm like, wow, that, that squirrel is just way too intelligent. I mean, I find the concept of intelligent squirrels a lot more unnerving than animorphs. Okay. Because, like, what's next? Our banks? Am I going to have to worry about squirrels coming into my house and, like, taking me hostage and, you know, ransoming me to my family? Because they're not going to pay. They don't negotiate with squirrel terrorists. It's a family policy. Well, what would really be currency for squirrels? That's the question. Um, I would assume more food, right? Okay. Un- unless they've unless they've adopted a capitalist mindset and they want actual money, but they're so small, like you'd be able to give them enough food, you know? Is enough? It, but what is enough? Huh? Like, you know, what if like squirrels are like people and they just want more and more and more? Hmm. Interesting. You know, like like w- at what point is enough enough? Uh, so this shot of also once sold authentic cowboy hats and guns, uh, not real guns, but toy guns. This is also a trading post for pins. So the trade, you know, frontier trading is actually true because you can buy and trade pins in here. <laughs> the food carts directly across from it, they are uh, chuck wagons. Chuck is Western slang for food. So they sell churros, pretzels, turkey legs, ice cream. Now, a word about turkey legs here in Frontierland. I actually don't believe, uh, I'm not sure if they still sell turkey legs over in these chuck wagons, but they definitely used to because this used to be my preferred turkey leg. Procurement yeah, I was going to say, this, that was like the home of turkey legs, right? Yeah, I believe the turkey legs have actually moved into the Liberty Square market. Uh, but Disney sells 1.6 million turkey legs per year. Wow. Yeah, they come from 40 to 50 pound turkeys. Wild. Yep. You've also got Big Al's Shack right here, which is a merchandise location connected to the Country Bear Jamboree. Uh, right out in this area as well, you have a street show that occurs uh, pretty much daily. Formerly, it was a stunt show. The Frontierland stunt show started in 1986, originally ran over by the train station, but then they moved the live-action show of about 10-minute comedy show. Had a gunfight on the rooftops. They moved it over into this area of Frontierland. There was a bunch of different characters, one of them named Cactus Jack. 
Okay. I heard they had <laughs> they they had to close the show down after nine years because Terry Funk kept showing up at Walt Disney World to try to fight the character of Cactus Jack. Annual pass holders. Yeah. See, now you didn't laugh at that because you're not a wrestling fan, but like Jeff I Cheney, and, I got it. Though. Jeff Cheney and some other wrestling fan listeners were just like cracking up at that Terry Funk line. So, I, you knew who Terry Funk was? Of course, I have a. Listen, I own a comic story, but tertiary knowledge of many pop culture things. Oh, okay. I didn't think Terry Funk was on that many people's. Uh, you know, it, it actually warms my heart to know that Terry Funk is still known in comic okay. stores. Uh, currently, there's a there's like a hoedown kind of thing that happens, like you know, line dancing and whatnot. Country Bears, the Brer characters, at least for now, uh, they come out, they dance with kids. The Country Bears also wander this area. Some terrifying Country Bears like w- wander around this area, including Big Al, and uh, they don't really stop to take pictures. They're just kind of like streetmosphere, yep, kind of thing. I think it's crazy that I've never gotten a Country Bear photo in Disney World. But in Disneyland, I've gotten multiple bears, and there's no country bears there. Yeah, and you've never seen Country Bear Jamboree either. No, I have seen Country Bear. What? When did this happen? Yeah, we did it last time we went. It you was didn't on tell my... me about this. This was a big thing. No, we did. We talked about it. It did was, uh, yeah, it was uh, shockingly packed. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't room for one more butt in that theater. Gosh, I have no mem. I, my memory of the things we talk about on uh, 202 episodes is really lacking. Like. Listeners on the on the Facebook group have been like quoting things to me that we say on the show, and I'm like, I have no memory of us saying that. What was that? <laughs> uh, so, Wait, squirrels are going to become intelligent. Yeah, <laughs> country, in a hundred episodes, someone's going to talk about squirrel bandits. I'm going to be like, what? <laughs> uh, country Bear Jamboree is next on our list. Uh, over in Grizzly Hall, this is a nor- it's designed for a North Woods Union Hall, and outside on the second floor, you can see bear pelts hanging in the window, which is kind of morbid. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so that begs the question, did the bears take over the hall? Hmm. Are the bears part of the actors' equity union? Uh, I believe they're part of the bear actors' equity union. Okay. So are they going to be uh, performing? Oh, yeah. The, bears act- the bear actors' equity union are far more lenient than... Um, yeah, same with the Planet Zork actors' equity union. That's why Sunny Eclipse is still going to be playing. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, uh, now there are two there there are two options here. Maybe like this hunting lodge when the hunters are out trying to hunt the bears, the bears come into the hunting lodge so that they don't get hunted and they just put on a hoot nanny. Or Peter Mandel, maybe these bears took over this hunting lodge in a blood plunge soaked vengeance, and then performed like a show. Yeah. Huh, okay. Like it was just this major huge battle between hunter and bear. The bears won. And then the bears were like, Hoot Nanny? Hoot Nanny! And I like they, that one. Yeah. Um, you know, let's put on a show with these severed heads on the wall. Let's sing about really inappropriate things for a children's theme park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we're in a really silly mood today. The floor of the lobby has claw marks on it, as if the bears, you know, like all walked through there, which makes sense. The MC is Henry. Who is a bear? Some other bears are Wendell, Teddy Bear, Gomer, Five Bear, the Five Bear Rugs, which is the band, and Big Al, who is undoubtedly the most popular. Yeah, have, can't miss Big Al. Yep. On the wall, you've got Melvin the Moose, Buff the Buffalo, and Max the Deer. A, a lot of people actually call this attraction Walt's Last Laugh because it was one of the last bits of concept art that he approved for Disneyland, and he la- and it made him laugh. Huh. Yeah. 
Uh, so Mark Davis originally designed this for Disney's Mineral King Ski Resort in California in the 60s, which never happened. This was an opening day Walt Disney World attraction and actually debuted in Walt Disney World first. It was so popular that they rebuilt it in Disneyland later. This attraction was the first to debut at Walt Disney World and then moved to other parks. I believe it's in Tokyo as well. Original sponsors, Pepsi and Frito-Lay. Interesting. Yes, there was a time when Pepsi was prevalent in Walt Disney World, which is so associated with Coca-Cola. In the summer of 1986, the show was revamped to the Country Bear Vacation Hoedown, where they played more contemporary music and dressed in more vacation-y clothes. Uh, the Bears were... Um, yeah, that's the first Country Bears jamboree that I ever saw, was the Vacation Hoedown. Okay. They played like On the Road Again and you know stuff like that. So, contemporary music for the time. It closed in February 1992 to make way for the original show once again. Now, the Country Bear Jamboree also used to get a holiday overlay. The Country Bear Christmas Special started in 1984 and continued through to 2005. Wow. I remember that. Yeah. But I didn't see it. So, uh, some backstory on the ride. Ursus H. Bear rounded up all of his bear friends post-hibernation to put on a musical celebration in this fall. Uh, no word on whether they snuck in or, you know, took it by force. But... You know, we. I think depending on like which uh, which which version of this origin story you're going to go with tells a lot about you as a person. <laughs> uh, Big Al, obviously the most popular bear. He was inspired actually by the appearance of Disney Imagineer Albertino, who was a show writer for Disneyland. And when Mark Davis designed the character, he designed him after Albertino as a tribute. Okay. What ticket was this, Peter Mandel? C. E ticket attraction. I mean, I'm going to get this right eventually. Maybe eventually. Uh, the Prairie Outpost and Supply Store is right near here. There's hitching posts outside. Uh, formerly, it was called Westward Ho, which was the second location to ever go extinct from Walt Disney World. Eventually, it became the candy shop that we see today um, and, you know, was bullied by squirrel bandits. Yep. And the name was revived for a quick service location, which is currently sitting right across from Country Bears. They serve breakfast sandwiches, can- the, the amazing candied bacon skewer on a stick. Assorted muffins, coffee, and frozen lemonade. Are you a bacon guy? I do like bacon. You should really try this candied bacon skewer on your next trip. I can't make believe you haven't tried it yet. I've been talking about I'm, it for years. I want to do that. The breakfast sandwich is pretty good, too, from what I remember. This is one of my preferred breakfast locations in the Magic Kingdom, actually, is Westford Hub. Nice. Pecos Bill's Tall Tail Inn and Cafe is next on our list. Um, it is a quick-service eatery. Originally had the Mile Long Bar, which had Pepsi products in it. Now, why was it called the Mile Long Bar? Because it was a mile long? No, but it had mirrors on either end of the bar to make it appear as though it were a mile long. Nice effect. Yep. Buff Melvin and Max from Country Bear Jamboree were also there. I don't know how they got from the theater into there so quickly. They're severed heads. So, um, But the, this area eventually became a part of Pecos Bills during a 1998 refurbishment. Pecos Bills obviously most famous for its one defining feature, the Fixins Bar. Do you love that Fixins bar? This used to be mostly a burger location, but they've kind of changed it into like a Tex-Mex place now. I noticed that. Yeah. I mean, there still is a burger there, but a lot of it more is now like nachos and quok and yep. stuff like that. Artifacts from around the room feature a bunch of fictional characters from America's history, such as Pecos Bill, Davy Crockett, Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan, John Henry, Wild Bill Hickok, uh, and a black mask and silver bullet that are not attributed to anyone is a tribute to the Lone Ranger. Hmm. Also an outdoor courtyard here uh, with a Spanish theme that blends in with the nearby Tortuga Tavern in Adventureland. Splash Mountain. Ready for this? I've heard of it. 
Yeah, I've, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It's soon to be extinct. Uh, opened in 1992 in Walt Disney World, but opened in Disneyland first in 1989. Uh, the story was Tony Baxter, legendary Disney Imagineer, was stuck in traffic in California, and he was trying to think of something that would draw guests to the other side of Frontierland while also making use of the animatronics from the America Sings attraction from Tomorrowland that was closing down. He pitched the idea to use those attractions in, a, in something called the Zippity, the Zippity River Run, obviously after Zippity Doodah. The Brer right. characters were already walk-around characters in, in Disneyland, so they were able to kind of you know transition it into an attraction. Michael Eisner wanted to rename it Splash Mountain to tie in with the Ron Howard-directed movie Splash, and he wanted the Daryl Hannah mermaid from Splash to be in the attraction, and Imagineers kind of talked him out of that. Like, Good move. Hey, this doesn't really, you know, gel with what we're talking about here. The irony is, is that that's what he wanted to tie into when really tying into the, you know, creating mountains in Disney ended up really being a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that was the thing. They were like, well, we, we call it Splash Mountain. It really kind of works with Space Mountain and the Matterhorn right. Mountain. So uh, the attraction was first previewed on television in the short uh, Ernest Goes to Splash Mountain featuring Ernest. I've never seen that. I've seen it, actually. It's on YouTube. Cool. If I'm you look up, check that out. Yeah, if you look up, uh, I think he, they call him like a splash or not or something like that. He's like, all right, Vern. You know, what was that guy's oh, Bill Varney or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he was also the voice of the Slinky Dog. Yep. They find a really good impersonator to do the voice for Slinky Dog Dash. <clears throat> uh, Tokyo actually was, cause in, in Disneyland, Splash Mountain, you're seated one behind the other. Kind of like right. Space Mountain and Walt Disney World. Tokyo actually started the whole sitting side-by-side -side thing, which was later adopted in Walt Disney World. Now, Splash Mountain changed the entire landscape of Frontierland. The Walt Disney World Railroad Station was demolished and relocated to fit in more with the attraction. So for months, the train actually ran in reverse like it was the Hogwarts Express. Oh. Hogwarts Express backing in. You know, like, nothing ruins the magic of Harry Potter world more than when you see the Hogwarts Express back into King's Cross Station. I know. What can you do? Uh, make a circle. That's what you can do. Uh, now, it should be also noted that uh, Splash Mountain is set in the Deep South, not the Wild West. So it was a bit of a departure from the theming of Frontierland. In the queue, we walk through an old barn um, and we see a bunch of critter homes. We, this is also where you get your um, your Ziploc plastic baggies, which are a great free souvenir. <clears throat> when you go, because now the Ziploc is the sponsor of the attraction. There the mountain's backstory. There is a backstory for the mountain. It's called Chickapin Hill, and it was where the Beaver Brothers built their dam. I just picture these Canadian beavers coming down, like, oh yeah, this looks like a great spot, eh? Oh sure. The retirement spot. What's the worst that could happen, eh? This is great, perfect for retirement down here in the States. Actually puts us pretty close to Walt Disney World. We can vacation there all the time, eh? Um, unfortunately, Rackety Raccoon's juice-producing still exploded. And it destroyed the dam. No word on what happened to the Beaver Brothers. I assume they made it. Like, oh, no! Oh, the juice, it's everywhere! All <laughs> this work! All this work done! If only Ma Beaver. Glad she's not here to see this. She's still up in Saskatchewan. 
<laughs> just picture these poor beavers, like, in the remnants of their dam, being like, No! Uh, we should go back up to Canada where they respect the beaver, eh? They put us on the nickel! We're on the nickel up there! Water then rushed through and uh, came rushed through and down Chickapin Hill, creating the waterways of Splash Mountain. The critters called their new home Splash Mountain because, you know, there were splashes now. The Zippity Lady Showboat, which is in the end of the attraction, is 36 feet wide and 22 feet tall, making it one of the largest showpieces in any Disney attraction. Now, the drop is a 52-foot plummet taken at a 45-degree angle that reaches speeds of 40 miles per hour, which is nearly twice as fast as Space Mountain. Space Mountain only goes about 26 miles per hour. Um, the Walt Disney World version has different coloring than Disneyland because it was set to match Big Thunder Mountain better. There's also a play area outside called the Laughing Place, and there's a character spot where you typically find Woody and Jesse out there. The merch shop that you exit through is called the Briar Patch. Ready for Big Thunder Mountain? Love Big Thunder Mountain. You better hold on to your hats and glasses, folks, because this here is the wildest ride in the wilderness. Uh, Thunder Mesa concept was revisited without Hoot Gibson uh, to create Big Thunder Mountain. Tony Baxter reworked Mark Davis's original concept and brought it to Disneyland in 1979 with the Walt Disney World version debuting a year later in 1980. It was built using 650 tons of steel, 4,675 tons of concrete, 90,000 gallons of water, 16,000 gallons of paint, and the prospector voice, a little trivia for you here, is the same voice actor that does Ben Franklin in The American Adventure in Epcot. Oh, nice little tie-in. Yeah. <coughs> now, the name Big Thunder Mountain is a play on the attraction that it replaced in Disney World, which is called The Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland. Big Thunder was actually a waterfall in that attraction. So some differences between Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Disneyland's is based on the Utah's uh, Bryce Canyon National Park, whereas the Walt Disney World version is based on the Monument Valley in Utah. In the story of Disneyland's, Rainbow Ridge, which was the town, uh, suffered from an earthquake, while in Walt Disney World, the town of Tumbleweed was flooded. The spirits of Big Thunder Mountain stopped miners from taking gold from the mountain in with either an earthquake or a flood, depending on which coast you're on. The mountain would also thunder whenever gold was removed from it. Superstitions of an actual... This is actually takes place... Uh, or is based on the superstitions of an actual Wyoming mountain. Miners, uh, the story says that miners forced the native guide to show them a vein of gold in the mountain. The population of the town dried out, and to bring in rain, a professor was consulted to create a rain-making machine. The disturbance of the sacred land led to the spirits of the mountain flooding everything. Flooding the town, the mountain, everything. There's now no more mining, and the mine cars all went out of control, so you couldn't like stop and take gold out of the mountain. Total cost of this attraction, <clears throat> $17 million dollars. Which is okay. equal to the total cost of building Disneyland just uh, about 25 years earlier. I mean, it seems crazy, but with inflation, I get it. Yeah. <clears throat> now, the last thing, uh, as we leave these amazing e-ticket attractions and start moving toward Adventureland, the last remnant of Frontierland that we're going to see is the Golden Oak Outpost. has Southwest theming, and it transitions into the Caribbean Plaza. Now, this used to be the site of the fabled... McDonald's fry cart, which everybody always talks yep. about. That actually had a backstory. An old farmer named McDonald operated it when his farm was washed away by the Big Thunder Mountain flood. McDonald was a miner who set up a supply cart to help 
sell supplies to the, the miners. But uh, when the flood happened, the cart was sent crashing down the hill. Golden Oak Outpost replaced the cart. They now sell waffle fries, which are a far step up from McDonald's fries. You can get chili cheese waffle fries, loaded waffle fries, chili cheese onion rings, loaded onion rings, chicken nuggets, and frozen lemonade. And that is Frontierland, Peter Mandel, as we are about to embark on adventure next week. We cross into Adventureland through Caribbean Plaza right here. What a great little section of Disney World. It, it really is. It's so, so much fun. Super, super exciting. Um, so we asked our friends around the world their favorite things about Frontierland, and this is what they said. So over in our Facebook discussion group, facebook.com slash group slash Two Men in the Mouse, I asked you guys, Mousers, for today's show, what are your favorite things about Frontierland? Paige Elizabeth says Pecos Bills nachos. Ryan Campbell says running around Tom Sawyer Island. Jerk chicken lettuce wraps of Pecos Bills. Turkey legs and Big Thunder in the back seat. When you sit in the back of Big Thunder, it's faster. Ryan Welsh says the rocking chairs on Tom Sawyer Island and screaming with people on Big Thunder Mountain. Anthony Fernandez says being able to walk on the side bridge and enjoy a look at Tom Sawyer Island in both mountains. Uh, Becky Adams says, to be completely honest, I'm not a huge fan of that area, so I'm going to say the little details. The years of architecture at the top of each of the buildings, the raised sidewalks that are very period, claw marks and country bears, looking at the G-Force spot on Big Thunder, the Tinkerbell Rock at the exit of Big Thunder, and the Bluebird Nest in Harper's Mill. There are other things I know are there, too. The storytelling elements everywhere, continuation of the story... Uh, from ride to other park areas, hidden Mickeys and other hidden areas. I can't think of them right now, but these are some of my favorites. Since this isn't my favorite, the only Western I like is Red Dead Redemption 2. I've always tried to find the magic in it. Jennifer Dye says Big Thunder Mountain. Beth Coon says Splash Mountain. Thunder Mountain and Letters, Lettuce Wraps of Pecos Bills. Dave Weikert says it's very corny, but I have to go to Country Bear Jamboree every time I go. So there you go. Dave Weikert approved. I was hoping Dave was going to go with the shooting gallery, but yeah. okay. <laughs> That would have been funny. Uh, Claudette Sher- uh, Sheriff Hockenberry says, Big Thunder, watching the parade from there. The parades all step off at Big Thunder Mountain. So Festival right. Fantasy, that's where it starts. <coughs> Melissa Snyder says, I have zero interest in the Country Bear Jamboree, but we stumbled upon Shaker on our last visit, and he was pretty cool, one of the bears. Uh, love Splash Mountain, and it's my only hope that Ziploc still sponsors baggies on the new Tiana ride. Frankie Keith Camel says, Splash Mountain, too soon? The sounds of the train and the Liberty Bell combined with the music, especially the ballad of Davy Crockett, really sets the Old West atmosphere. Tom Sawyer's Island is a good place to relax away from the crowds if you don't mind taking that log wrap. Michael Avila says the fireworks when you're riding Big Thunder. That is awesome. I do love riding Big Thunder while the fireworks are going on. Kathleen Grove says I love the old-timey Western music in Frontierland. Heather Marie says Pecos Bill's Cafe, those nachos. If you haven't had them, go try them. Jason Frink says the obvious Big Thunder, but the Frontier Outpost is probably the biggest pin board in Magic Kingdom, so that's always a stop for us, too. Lara Fee says, love Splash Mountain. I'll miss it as Splash Mountain, but I look forward to the change. I know Disney will do a great job with the Princess and the Frog theme. Big Thunder Mountain is always a blast. Gotta go hands up. We ate at Bacos Bills once, just once. The food was awesome. Uh, Shannon Jordal says, the Water's Edge walkway to escape the crowded, uh, the crowded main road, though I'm not sure if that counts as Liberty Square or Frontierland. Because it runs from the riverboat to the rafts. No, it counts. And she says the Country Bear Jamboree, surprisingly funny and risque for the Magic Kingdom. And the escape from the hustle and bustle over at Tom Sawyer's Island and watching the parade from Aunt Patty's. Eric Masson says five words. Pecos Bills, free topping bar. Amanda Moaning says Pecos Bills. Mackenzie Morasco says Big Thunder is my favorite ride. I also love the Country Bear Jamboree and eating turkey legs right by the water. Brian Kutch says Country Bear Jamboree and Splash Mountain. Amy Godden says Splash Mountain is my most favorite ride. Uh, I like that it tells a story and that it's long. 
Big Thunder is definitely in my top five as well. Last trip, we took our 10-year-old daughter to see Country Bears for the first time. She was a toddler, and I laughed the entire time, and she gave me the what am I watching face at the start of almost every song. <clears throat> now I can get her to crack up any time by belting out, there was blood on the saddle. In my best Big Al impersonation. That was my best Big Al impersonation. Uh, one of our favorite Walt Disney World memories. And Thomas Alex says, Country Bears, a friend of mine who passed away last year, made a play when we worked at a summer camp. My part was the human bear. I would always text him saying, I'm at my family reunion when I would see the show. That's a great story. All right. Thank you to all you guys who participated over at the Facebook discussion group. Um, always love having you guys uh, <clears throat> you know, sound off. Pete, any last notes on Frontierland? Uh, you know, I do feel like Frontier Line sometimes can be a little bit of a transition, you know, yeah. between the two. So I feel like, you know, it's nice hearing all the details. So I'll definitely give it a second look. Absolutely. All right. Well, anything else? Uh, that's going to do it for Two Men in the Mouse this week, folks. Thank you so much for joining us and for continuing on our world tour with us. We are almost through the Magic Kingdom. We got two more lands. We got Adventureland and Tomorrowland, and then we're moving on to Epcot. So buckle up, folks, because the world tour has just only begun. I hope you guys are enjoying it. All right, so if you love our friend Peter Mandel, check him out there at Rogue Comics in Cranford, New Jersey at 105 North Union Avenue, Cranford, New Jersey, 07016. Or go to RogueComics.com where you can find a link to Pete's eBay store, Rogue Comics, which actually just opened uh, at yeah. 1130 because it's 1132 right now. Uh, so if you're planning a trip to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise, Adventures by Disney, or any Disney Resort or Universal Orlando, check out Dave Weikert of Magical Travel who will plan your Disney vacation for you at no additional cost to you. Uh, you can always find uh, Dave on our Facebook discussion group, so just tag him if you have any questions. And if you're renting a Cribber Stroller, check out our friends over at KingdomStrollers.com, and they'll make sure you have a Cribber Stroller at your Walt Disney World Resort. Uh, for me, folks, uh, check out the Rossinanti series. The audiobook is coming soon, so follow my Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Kevin J. Kessler Author, for more news on that release. And check out the Morty Monster YouTube channel, which we will be documenting our return to the Magic Kingdom uh, very soon this week. So that does it for this week. Pete, any closing words? On to adventure. Onward to adventure. Please, folks, keep the magic alive every day of your lives. We will see you next week on Two Men and the Mouse. So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Just a dream away If you're standing, please hold on to the handrails and stay clear of the doors until the monorail stops completely and the doors open. If this concludes your visit, we hope you've had a wonderful time and will return home safely. Thank you for traveling with us.